welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Podcast. I am your host, Karen Litzy, and today's show is brought to you by GoDaddy. Buy your own domain name, build your site, or use any of GoDaddy's business tools and save 30%. Just head over to podcast.healthywealthysmart.com, click on the resources page and the GoDaddy icon to save 30% today. Okay, so in today's episode, I'm thrilled to have a fellow physiotherapist from Australia, Randall Cooper. Randall is an experienced sports physiotherapist, founder and managing director of Premax, adjunct lecturer at the Latrobe University Sport and Exercise Medicine Research Center, fellow of the Australian College of Physiotherapists, and designer of the Cooper Knee Alignment Sleeve by Thermoskin. As a sports physiotherapist, Randall has worked with some of Australia's most notable sporting organizations, including the Hawthorne Football Club, the Australian Winter Olympic Team, and the Victorian Institute of Sport. He consulted from the internationally renowned Olympic Park Sports Medicine Center in Melbourne, Australia, from 1999 to 2016, and he has also attained the title of sports specialist sports physiotherapist as awarded by the Australian College of Physiotherapists in 2008. A little bit more about Premax. It is uh, an Australian company that manufactures a range of sports skincare and massage creams. Premax is available in Australia, Asia, UK, and Europe and will be launched in North America soon. He is also the designer of the Cooper Knee Alignment Sleeve by Thermoskin. This innovative proprioceptive sleeve features an anti-valgus strap, silicone dots with the sleeve to boost activation of medial quadriceps and hamstrings, a patellar sling, and a circular knit to optimize proprioceptive compression. All of the links to all of these are at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com in today's show notes. So today we talk about how to come up with a product, how to bring that product to market, and then how to market it. So we talk about how to assess if your product idea fulfills a niche area in the market, why you should protect your intellectual property, how to find a distributor that's right for your product, and unique obstacles healthcare practitioners face when launching a new product. So one of the biggest challenges physical therapists face is they can rely on their stable career paths and potentially not take advantage of more risky but fruitful opportunities. Randall believes that the entrepreneurs who have nothing to fall back on, they grit down, they get through those tough times, and they get to that next level because they have to. So this was a great talk. So thankful for Randall for coming on today's podcast. And if you have an idea and you want to bring it to market, you want to bring it to fruition, this is the episode to listen to. He has some great, great advice. Uh, So thank you to Randall. And again, thank you to GoDaddy. And for the listeners of the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart podcast, GoDaddy makes registering domain names fast, simple, and affordable. Find out why so many business owners choose GoDaddy to be their name registrar. I use GoDaddy. I've always found it to be easy. They're affordable. Uh, It's the world's largest technology provider dedicated to small businesses, largest domain registrar, award-winning 24-7 support to help build your online business, everything you need to get your business online, whether you have a new idea like today's podcast or an established business, the key to success online starts with a great domain name. They're big savings trusted by 13 million customers more than any other registrar. So again, just go to podcast.healthywealthysmart.com, click on the resources page and click on the GoDaddy icon and save 30% 
today. So if you have that new idea, like Randall and I talk about in this podcast, hop on over to GoDaddy, save 30% and get a domain name. Okay. So uh, let's get to today's podcast with Australian physiotherapist and entrepreneur, Randall Cooper. Hey, Randall, welcome to the podcast. I'm happy to have you on. Thanks very much for having me, Karen. I've listened to your, uh, your podcast for a while now, and it's excellent. So I'm delighted to be part of your show. Ah, well, thank you. And I'm delighted to have you here. And, you know, like I said in the introduction, you are a physio, but you're also someone who has brought different products to market. And I think this is a, a big topic. I see it a lot on social media, especially with students and uh, therapists of every age. Everyone's always wondering, I have this great idea, but I, I it's oftentimes these great ideas just stay ideas. Now you took some great ideas and you got them made and you got them manufactured, you got them distributed. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to pick your brain on this a little bit, if that's okay. That sounds great. Um, was that a sheep in the background? Please say it was no, a sheep. Well, oh. <laughs> well, I'm actually I'm over in Perth, Australia at the moment. Uh-huh. Uh, my wife is from here and... Um, the house is full of 13 people getting uh, ready for the holiday season. Oh. So I decided to drive down the road next to a park, and it's actually a crow. So Oh, a crow. Um, I was like, oh, my God, you're in Australia. Please say it. But that's New Zealand, right? Doesn't New Zealand have the sheep? Or did oh, Australia we have sheep have here sheep? too, yes. Oh. And we, you might hear the odd kookaburra too. So. A what? <laughs> the kookaburras. The kookaburras are the birds that laugh, yeah. Oh, my God. That would be amazing. I hope that happens. I really hope that happens. Okay. Getting back to the getting back to, on track here. So, like I said, you've had ideas, you've had some products. So, before we get into the how-to, can you talk a little bit about the products that you have? Yeah, sure. Well, um, as you mentioned, I am a uh, here in Australia a, a sports physiotherapist or physical therapist, and um, I suppose like a lot of people, um, I had a, an idea. I wanted to start my own business. Um, and I thought at the time the, the massage creams that um, we were using uh, back home were not of good quality. They just were generic products that weren't really manufactured or designed for massage creams. So I decided to have a go myself. Um, I'll talk you through the process in a little uh, little in, in a little time, but um, it started off very much as a side project. Um, I thought that you know, like if it took us on a nice holiday to the beach each year with my family, then uh, we'd be really happy. Um, but it slowly grew. Um, and I suppose the thing that, um, reflecting back on one of the reasons that, um, the products and the, the, the things that we have have been a success is that I picked a gap in the market. I picked something that wasn't done very well. Um, we did it differently. Um, so I started off with two massage creams, um, that had a very different texture to what was out there. The, the massage creams were the devised for physical therapists, for massage therapists, for body workers, and um, they were different to what was out there. And those products have slowly grown, um, and now I've been lucky enough to develop it that it's a a product that we're taking around the world. And, you know, you came up with this idea, you kind of found this, like you said, this little gap in the market, so you sort of were using creams, you didn't like what you were using, and thought, I feel like I can do this better. Right, so that's kind of how you came up with the idea. Safe to that's say. That's right. 
So what yeah, is, what you, is you your best advice to, on that? Well, I think the first thing you've got to do is, um, you know, there's, there's a few stages in, in the process. that You talk to a lot of people in health and a lot of people, they're very clever and um, they, they have some good ideas. Um, the idea is one thing, but then you have to take it to that next level and then start really to research it. And it's not only research the idea, but also research whether it's a, a viable business as well. So, you know, the internet's fantastic. You can jump on there and, 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 and look up things such as, does a similar product already exist, not only in your local market, but potentially overseas? Um, are there similar products? And, you know, where do they sell and what do they sell for? And what's the size of the market as well? So, you know, like, is it something where it's only going to appeal to a thousand people versus one hundred thousand people. These are things that, when you start to research an idea, um, you really need to, to start to, to think about as well. The other thing that is really important to, to start researching as well is also how hard is it to get that product to market. So, for instance, if you were going to come up with um, a really sophisticated piece of equipment that helped, uh, you know, like a you know like a knee brace or something along those lines and it's full of carbon fibre and there's a lot of, you know, components and uh, expensive equipment, something like that might be quite hard to get into the market um, and quite expensive to get into the market, whereas something like my massage creams, they weren't cheap. <laughs> but at the same time, like the, the startup costs weren't there as well. So I think that the, for, for, the first, for the first part of it, people really need to think of, okay, I've got a great idea. And then they've got to go to that next step, step and really start to research the idea itself, but also the, the business and whether the, that business is viable. And if someone is, so let's say you have an idea, in your case, it was massage cream. So mm -hmm. what sort of things were you looking up? You get on the internet and you Google what? Where do you go to find, do you Google, do you, you know, where do you start? Because the internet's big. It's a vast space, you know? It sure is. And, and it can get a bit overwhelming. And the other thing also is, is, is to, I should have mentioned that, you know, researching it also involves, you know, talking to your colleagues and other people about it and maybe jumping online and uh, getting on the forums and Facebook, et cetera, to, to, to kind of talk about the concept of your ideas. You don't want to go into the nitty gritty, um, but see whether you think that there, there's a market as well. Um, I, I think that as far as kind of looking into Google and, and researching it, again, it comes down to, and this is one of the thing, things I think that work, you see people who succeed in businesses, um, particularly at the moment, is that they come up with something quite niche. So in my situation with Premax and massage creams, massage creams aren't massive like they're not in walmart and you know like mm -hmm. well actually they are <laughs> but it's it's not like there's 1000 products out there. there there might be 100 and some of them are very quite particular to europe or america or australia um so you've got to really look at all right where am i going to target first obviously for me it was australia of course and yeah. so i looked yeah so i looked at what else was here there's probably four or five different type of products that were used at that point and at that point i kind of said all right well what i like is I like component A out of massage cream A and then this bit out of massage product B. Um, and um, at that point, that's when I started to formulate my idea um, that I'd like to do something different and combine some of the, the best parts of other products but do something unique and different at the same time as well.
Yeah, so if if you have an idea, then just to kind of recap, so because anybody can have an idea, it's what you do with it that counts, right? So if you have an idea, the first thing, let's say you're a physio or you work in healthcare, maybe the first thing you can do is reach out to your colleagues. And if, if yeah. it's related to healthcare, I mean, if you're if you work in healthcare and you're I don't know, creating peanut butter, then maybe that's not the best people to try that out on. But if you're creating a product for the healthcare field, one of the first things you can do is reach out to your colleagues. Maybe do some online surveys with your colleagues, things like that. Do a little um, market research. Yeah, no, that's right. Well, the the the, the next thing is is that once you've researched it. Um, and this is where it, it, it gets very interesting, actually, at this point, because most people, when they have an idea, a lot of people, if they just have an idea, they're happy to chat about it. Whereas if they start to get a little bit more serious about it and start to research it and say, actually, I reckon I could, I, I might have a go at this, it's very easy to start become very insular and say, I'm not going to share this with anyone. This is my, this is, I'm going to make a million dollars out of this and I can't give away any of my secrets because I've got a great idea. But I would encourage people to go around the other way. Um, most people have good ideas. It, it's only the, the select few that will then kind of go on and actually take it to that next level. I would encourage people to actually talk about it, to, to kind of get their idea, to talk with their colleagues about it, to jump online saying, oh, I'm thinking about doing this. Most of the time, that feedback that you get from other people is extremely refreshing. Um, and then it helps solidify whether your idea is good or not. The, the next thing is, is that you have to go on and then actually test the product. So um, in, in the case of um, some products, um, it's easy to do. And in the case of like the massage creams, for instance, what I did is I engaged a cosmetic chemist and we formulated the creams together. It took us about five or six goes to, to kind of get the product right for me. And I felt, yeah, this is really what I like. But then at that point, I got that cosmetic chemist just to make up a dozen samples, little jars, and then I went around to my colleagues and I said, can you please try it? And I gave them a form and said, I don't want you to, to talk to me because I want you to write it down honestly and pretend that I'm not your colleague or friend and just give me an honest appraisal of what you're doing. So that's that next part of, of kind of like testing your idea um, in a small market is really important again. And again, I, I got a lot of information. I got a lot of feedback from that. Um, and that helped me refine the product further to make sure that when I had to scale it up and actually hit the go button and spend a lot of money on it, um, that, that I was confident that it would work. And before you do this, let's say you're working with, you, you have someone to help you develop the product. In this case, it was a massage cream. So do you mm -hmm. have the person that's helping you sign any sort of legal documents to say they're not going to steal it from you? Yeah, so there's uh, will depend on how you, what you're designing and what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So it, that that's that's the next part of it is that like a, you need to you need to test the product, um, and it can overlap um, in the process. But then you need to protect it. So in the case of the massage creams, um, when I engage this chemist, and they're used to this, this is what they do all, all day every day. But you sign a non-disclosure agreement. So um, they – and you need to ensure that you're very clear about who owns the intellectual property on it as well. So, for instance, in my game, in, in our skincare range, um, I can go along to a manufacturer and I can say I've got a great idea for a product and you can work with their team to get it right. 
um, but they don't charge you for the um, for their service. But at the end of the process, if you're happy and you proceed to manufacture that product, they own the formulation. They own the IP on it. So Got you it. can't pick it up and take it along to another manufacturer. Whereas I made sure, and it's again, this is where your confidence comes into it, um, your self-belief comes into it as well. You know, I made sure that at the start of it, I said, no, 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 I'm going to own this formula. And most of the, um, the people will be happy to do that, but you have to pay along the way. So every time I did a formulation, it cost me X amount of dollars. Um, at the end of it, it wasn't a, a hugely expensive exercise. It might have cost me a few thousand dollars to get these creams to where I wanted it to be. Um, but then you have to manufacture in, in certain minimum quantities, and that's where you <laughs> you need to uh, have the courage to, to go, all right, I mean, invest some serious money here into in to making this happen. And I think oftentimes that when you get to that investment of serious money, that's where people are like, well, I don't have the money to do that. So have you found alternative pathways um, to coming up with the financial aspects of just getting something off the ground. Any advice on that? Yeah, well, again, it will depend on what you do and also depend on, on what your ambition is as well. Um, so I think that you, you, have to, you have to protect your idea. Um, so, again, that, that, that's kind of like um, uh, expensive, um, so I've got another product which is um, like a proprioceptive knee sleeve. I, I designed the the product, and then this product is uh, manufactured under license uh, to a company here in Australia called Thermoskin. It's called the Cooper knee sleeve. Um, so with them, it was a it was a very different process where I had to outlay the to get the patent on this product, and that was in the thousands of dollars, not mm-hmm. the tens of thousands of dollars. And fortunately, having been a physical therapist for 15 years or whatever at that stage, like we could afford it. So I, I could pinch the money from somewhere else and, and kind of throw it in there. But in the case of kind of like the, the massage creams, uh, I purposely started quite slow um, and started quite small because it is one of those things that I could have, I, I started um, on a small scale, like I said at the start. It was a hobby pretty much to start with, and it, it, it did grow as, as time went on. But not everyone has five, ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars or more mm-hmm. to, to invest. So at that point in time, like again, this is comes back to the research, making sure that you've done your research on and you know how much it costs to get that product to market. Not only how much does it cost to make, how much does it cost? You got to also look at how much is the minimum orders, um, where you're going to ha- warehouse it. Um, how you're going to get it out there, and particularly how you're going to tell your community about it. You've got to build yourself a, an audience of some kind, and and in some form or another, whether it's your time or whether you're paying someone else to do it, you need to allocate money or time or both to to making sure that you can get the product launched and out there as well. So if if you reckon you can do it on your own, great. You know, a lot of people in startup businesses will go and uh, take. Um, uh, or, or approach friends, family, fools, the three Fs they're called, um, uh, to invest in, in the business. And normally in that situation, um, you might have to give up a bit of equity um, in, the, um, in, in your business. The other um, group of people that um, tend to come in at this stage are what's called angel investors. So angel investors are usually successful business people um, who, are, who are quite wealthy who are looking to get in at the ground level um, of businesses, young businesses, startup ideas, 
and they will in, inject the money that's required to get it to that next stage. Um, but in return, they, they will get a significant slice of the business as well. So they're the two kind of, they're the three main things. You can do it on your own if you can afford it. If you want to keep 100% ownership, great. Um, you can go and approach friends and family and colleagues and whatever and see if they want to go, or business partner, for instance, um, or the in- angel investors. They're the three main things that people will use to finance a business in the early stage. And what about like a Kickstarter campaign? Where do you oh, think they're, that they're, fits in? I think that, I mean, it's it's a newer method. Um, the, the benefit of um, having other people involved is that you not only have their, their money, but you also have their energy, time, and particularly like with the angel investors, you have their expertise as well. If they've they've grown a business and they understand it, um, particularly for people in health, you know, most of us in health haven't really kind of dabbled into to large scale business. Most of us have, even if you've had a clinic, it's a, it's a little bit different to kind of mm-hmm. thinking about scaling a worldwide product. Um, so the the challenges there um, are significant to to kind of get that business started. Um, so, yeah, did that answer your question? Sorry, Karen. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Mm. And it, I guess the – so it sounds like you kind of have the idea, you do your market research, you ask people about it, talk about it, have get some legal protection for yourself and your idea, test the product, create the product, test the product, protect the product. What, yes. Yes. What, um, what about – a patent. I know that you you just sort of mentioned it briefly with the Cooper knee sleeve, but yes. how is it? How important is it to get a patent before you even go to manufacture? Uh, it's it's very important, and again, it depends on the product that you have. So, for instance, with the Cooper knee sleeve, um, that I, I have a patent on that, and um, it was it's very important to have that because. It's a product that's easily replicated, uh, particularly if um, uh, people over in Asia in China um, find out, particularly if it starts to sell well, um, if you don't have a patent on it, then people will just copy it um, and you've got no legal leg to stand on. Um, so it, it's very important to, to get that. But in the, in the um, situation of the massage creams, we can't, you can't patent a formula. Well, you can. You can actually kind of protect the formula, but... You only need to change something by about ten percent or so, um, and then it's classed as a different product, and you wouldn't you wouldn't legally have a leg to stand on either. So, in the case of the massage creams, we um, we protect our intellectual property as best we can by protecting the brand, by protecting the descriptors of the names. Um, but part of it is is getting your product out there as quickly as you can, and really getting the one. If you're the first to market with something. It tends to work really well. Um, if you're a follow-on kind of product and you're copying the original, um, then uh, that's when you tend not to, to kind of do so well. Um, and particularly if you're starting a business from scratch, you, you need to be that unique new product, uh, the first kid on the block. And um, if you can get your product out to market quickly enough, um, that, that will actually protect you pretty well either way. Okay. All right. So that answers a little bit of that. And I know you're not a lawyer, but you've been through this. So the advice is certainly welcome. Um, yes. So now you've got your product. You kind of took the steps that we just said. So 
what are some sort of common mistakes or pitfalls on the business side of things, or let's say the financial side of, of things, when you're developing a product? Uh, well, there's there's quite a few, um, and I'm lucky, fortunate enough enough to, these days because Premax and the Cooper Neesleaf have gone, you know, pretty well um, as far as businesses go. So I, I talk to a lot of uh, young health practitioner uh, people who are wanting to start a business, and as I said earlier, most of the time people are really have great ideas, um, but again, it, it's going back to doing the research and, and making sure that it's a viable business as well. And that, that's the thing where I think as health practitioners, most people don't really look into that side closely enough. So one of the pitfalls that I see quite often is that um, people don't, uh, they underestimate what the startup costs are going to be um, and the, the the cost that it takes to develop the product, the, the cost that it takes to actually then start, a, even things like starting a company, starting a website, getting business cards, all these things add up and, and can amount to, to thousands at times. And also particularly um, getting your product out to market, like I said before. So, for instance, if you wanted to, if you came up, let's say you came up with the Cooper knee sleeve and you did it yourself and, you know, you said, all right, well, it's going to cost me $10,000 to get it all there. So I've got the product, I've got 200 in my shop or in my garage or whatever it might be. But then you've got to get it out there. So... If you want to go and exhibit at a conference, for instance, like you're probably going to have to outlay maybe five, six, seven, up to $10,000 just to be there and have a stand for three or four days. So, and, and that's without having a, um, you know, a firm sale there as well. You need to fly around and find distributors. Um, you need to spend your own time um, kind of marketing it as well. So, but these are the things where I think that I see a lot of pitfalls to start with. Um, people have a great idea. They get their product ready and it's like, all right, well, my product's ready. But then you've got to take it that next step. And, and uh, the, the underestimation of, of the startup costs is one. Okay. Um, what the, else? Yep. The other, the other thing I think is also that people overestimate how much money they're going to make, particularly in the first couple of years. Most I've heard it more times than I haven't from people who have had successful businesses. And the cliche is, is that it took me 10 years to become an overnight success. And I know in the case of, um, in Premax, um, we didn't turn a profit for two or three years, maybe even three or four years. I'd have to look back at the, at the books. Um, it takes a while to, 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 um, actually start making money out of a product. Some people are lucky and in the media, You'll always get the the stories that um, are unbelievable, and they go from nothing to a twenty million dollar business in two years, and they're selling crazy online. Well, that's great, but that's that's not the normal. The normal is is most people have to slog it out uh, for a number of years, and that persistence is something that um, is actually inherent in a lot of um, health practitioners. But when it comes to business, it 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 it, it can wear thin at times as well. So. That, that, that kind of dovetails in with is, with focusing on the financial side of things. A lot of the time, um, health practitioners are very personable people, so they're very good at, at networking and getting around um, and, and getting kudos associated with their product. But a lot of the time, you see that the thing, the reason they fall down is they just haven't been looking at the books closely enough. They haven't forecast well enough. 
Um, so they're the main things that I see that are the challenges and the pitfalls. It's, it's more so on the business side of things um, than the, the, the validity of the product that they design. And, you know, you had mentioned, you know, you have to find finding distributors. How do you find a distributor? So let's say you have your product, you've got a prototype made, you are happy with the prototype, you put the money down, you got a bunch of this product made. How do you find a distributor? Let's say you want it to be on every shelf in every Target in America. You know, how do mm-hmm. you get there? Because that just seems to be... A, a tall task. Oh, it, it's it's big, um, and there's one thing for sure that a big retailer will never ever take your product is if you just turn up one day and get a meeting with a buyer and say I've got a great product and they'll say all right, well why is it great? And you can use you can spiel off all the reasons that it's different to everything else, but they need to take something off their shelf that's making money. Um, to put yours on. So that buyer needs to be convinced that what you have is different, unique, but particularly that it's going um, uh, to make them money and it's going to be a value add to their business. So it kind of goes back to the testing of the market. If you can, if you can um, develop your product on a small scale and you can get some great feedback from people of influence in your community – so in the physical therapy, physiotherapy world, I made sure that I went to my colleagues who worked in professional sports teams and I made sure that they were happy with it and would they buy it? Yes, they would buy it. Um, and I could then go to a distributor um, in the sports medical market and say, hey, I've developed a brand new product. You know, like my experience and my name in inverted commas probably counted for something. But then also, like, I made sure it wasn't just about what I thought. I had 25 other comments and people who said, we've trialled the product and we like it and we would buy it. And for them, it makes the, the buyer and the person who will take it take on the distribution of that product, it makes it a lot easier for them as well. The other thing, the other middle step that people can do, and this is where, um, you know, modern technology, um, the internet's terrific, is that it's pretty cheap and easy to start up your own online store. So, um, and you can even go through things like Amazon. I probably wouldn't recommend it, but you can kind of use those um, other platforms to do it. But you can set up a um, your own website for a small amount of money. Um, you can sell your product. You can get on social media. You can generate traffic to there. And you just need to get a critical mass of sales. And particularly, you need to see that the sales start going uh, north. That that's when you, again, if you if you can combine it's like a body of work it's almost like a product cv if you can go into a distributor and say i got all these great comments um from um, people um, i've designed it for these reasons and it's a different product and it's unique i've also had an online store and we've been selling x amount of products and it's growing then it's a very easy conversation whereas if you go in kind of just with your product and a great idea um, it's a much more difficult conversation and you need to have some pretty good sales skills to get that one over the line. And so when you're talking about a distributor, what what is an example of a distributor? So let's say, what's an example of a distributor that is distributing the massage cream? Yeah, well, different distributors will dis- distribute usually in, in have a, an area of interest. So 
for us, and I'm sure it's the same in the States, um, you know, like we've engaged people over in Europe and Asia and Australia here, we, we generally go through what we call sports medical distributors. So these um, companies uh, will stock things like massage creams, sports tapes, ultrasound machines, um, TheraBand, um, exercise equipment, um, all the bandages, tapes, etc. And for a physical therapy practice, for a sports club, which is our main area of interest, um, people will go to there to um, buy their monthly order. And it's a, it's a good um, thing to think about as well because in the case of the massage creams, like they're a staple. They're, they're something that are used quite often and it's kind of like going down to your grocery store for, for practitioners that they got their weekly grocery shop and, and Premax is part of that. Whereas if you've got a very unique um, standalone product where people might buy it only once, then you may not need the distributors as much and the online, um, your online store may be able to kind of do it really well. So, you know, like it, it depends again on, on your product. Um, but, yeah, it, they're quite niche and actually they're, they're inherently a little bit difficult to find. So you need to network and ring around and talk to people. Um, in the case of, you know, physical therapy, I'm sure that most physical therapists would have um, a distributor that they would use to supply their practice or hospital or clinic or whatever they have already. And if you've got a relationship with them and you like them, that may be your first port of call. And that's right. what I did. Yeah. I, I, and that's where we started. Yeah. And that makes sense. So in the physical therapy fitness kind of world, it, you might be thinking things that come to my mind are like perform better or OPTP or, you know, those kinds of, of, um, companies that sell the things that you're trying to sell. That's right. And, and but it, there's even subsections of that as well. So certain companies will focus more on the hospital market, whereas other companies will sell into sports teams. Um, so um, there's even subcategories within that. And in picking the right distributor, it, it's also it's a tricky thing about making sure that your product will get highlighted through them as well. So it's really easy to look for a company that's national and is big and has 5,000 products and you go, wow, these guys are so massive. But you've got to remember that this company is big and you're one of 5,000 products and you need the airtime. So for a lot of young businesses, it's probably actually better to go and partner with a smaller business, someone who doesn't have as many products, who will really value and push your range and particularly try and start getting it going in a smaller market and getting that word of mouth kind of happening first um, rather than just trying to go um, into the biggest and the best straight away because you may just get smothered with everything else. Yeah, and I think that's really solid advice there actually. So, And again, this comes down to kind of doing your research, right? Finding out what is best for the, for the niche product that you have developed. And mm -hmm. this is all readily available to people, correct, this information? Yeah, sometimes you have to search around for it. Um, we like to think that everything's available online these days, um, but it's not. Um, and as I said earlier, the you know some of these distributors, um, some of them are actually quite silent. Um, and if you, you know, kind of put in... You know, for, for, for us, you know, massage cream distributor or something like that, they will never come up in the first 100 pages. So 
you need to, to, to do your research, not only online, uh, but ring around, talk to people. Um, the more you can talk, the more educated you can get about uh, the way the market works, uh, the better chance you'll have a success. And so can you give a – I know it depends on the product and everything else, but what would be an approximate time frame? So you have this idea, you sketched it out, you've made the prototype, you tested it, people love it, you've made – uh, mass quantities of it, you go to distributors. How long are we looking at here? Because it's obviously not just a couple of weeks unless you're really lucky. Uh, the Cooper Neasley took two years to get okay. it to market. So from the, the time that I sketched out the first drawing, and it didn't take me long to go and then uh, kind of take it to the next step, yeah, it took two years to get it on the shelves. Premax was a little bit quicker. Um uh, that probably took about eight to nine months. So I think for, for most people, again, depending on the product, you're probably looking somewhere between about six months and two years before you kind of get your product um, there and starting to sell. Okay. All right. So you've just taken us through coming up with the idea, developing it, distributing it. But now there's something that you said earlier. If nobody knows that your product is there it's a little hard to sell it. So how do you market on a maybe not a big budget because you've just spent all your money and yes. asked friends and family or, you I don't know, you did a Kickstarter, you got an angel investor to develop yep. the damn thing. So yep. now how do you market on a, on a budget and still get the word out? Yeah, listen, it, it's hard um, because, you know, you're up against um, – big businesses and established players who have got tens of thousands in the case of big brands, you know, millions of dollars um, to advertise and market. So you've got to do things, again, it's no different to your product. You've got to market a little bit differently to, to what's out there as well. I think the, the first thing to do is is, is to really just pick um, um, a small area. And what I mean by that is it may be a geographical area or it might be a small part of the market. So in physical therapy, for instance, it may be I'm just going to target the people who are, um, have a high interest in sports, or it might be that I'm going to um, kind of go to, well, everything's done um, tech-wise out of San Francisco these days. <laughs> I'm going to go to San Francisco, and all I'm going to do is just target kind of like the top 100 sports teams in that in that city um, and, and start from there. So... It may be that that marketing is that it might be your time and you go around and ring people and introduce the products one by one. Um, that, that, that works. You know, the, the personal side of things definitely works. It's still something 10 years down the track that I still use a lot um, and it still works to this day. Um, but the cool thing is um, social media. Like social media has been a game changer for small businesses. Um, you can develop a following quite quickly. Um, you can be really individualised and um, I think that that's kind of the key now for, for a lot of small businesses is to do social media well to, to get their brand out quickly. And I know your next question, Karen, is going to be, well, which social media channel do you pick? Well, it, I think it depends on your product because some products will align very well with photos. Some product products will align themselves um, much better with videos and some we, people want to talk about it, so you might be on Facebook. So, for instance, if um, there's been a couple of um, bikini uh, swimwear companies 
that have um, have gone absolutely crazy because of Instagram. And one of the reasons they do it is because they get beautiful ladies in terrific bikinis in unbelievable locations, um, and they put that on Instagram. And of course, they get thousands and thousands of likes, so their business grows exponentially. But for Premax um, or the knee sleeve, Instagram's not really that kind of appealing or sexy as it's so right. you know like do we have instagram sure we do but you know is it our best channel no it's not so what we've found and some of this has been trial and error as well is that people like to learn about massage techniques so we've found that our youtube channel has been the thing that has gone the best you know we've got over four thousand subscribers we get seven thousand views a day on our channel like um and it goes all over the world and again, when you look back on it, you say, well, that makes sense. You know, like do people research hard and look at, you know, the, the massage creams that they're using? No, probably not. But the vehicle is, is that most people will actually be looking to upskill what they do with their manual therapy. Um, so we've kind of tapped into that. And for the social media thing, that's given us um, an enormous amount of exposure, um, you know, for, for a very low cost. We actually get paid um, to... <laughs> Um, put our videos on um, on YouTube. There, you can turn the ads on, which pretty much 99% of people do, um, and you, you get an ad revenue from it as well. So for us, um, it's been a it's been a terrific thing to to generate business, um, to to align yourself well um, with people of influence. Um, so we make sure that we get really great people to kind of do our videos for us and things as well. And I'd encourage people to to, to kind of do the same as well. So I don't I don't think that there's one magic social media channel that depends on the product and, and, and how you want to sell it. Yeah, and it also depends on who your target audience is. No, that's right. right? Well, it's the same as you, yeah, you and your podcast. Yeah. So, you know, like you're, you're, um, you, you know, you're looking to target people who are health practitioners and physical therapists and you do that very well. So for you, you know, like you don't really kind of need to get yourself on CNN or NBC to kind of tell everyone about it. You know, it's much better for you to kind of go through the appropriate channels to do so. Um, and it's the same for us too. Yeah, and and even now with Facebook ads, do you guys use Facebook ads at all? We did. Uh, we have. Mm-hmm. Uh, we still do to some extent. the The frustrating thing with Facebook is is that um, is that as far as organic reach goes now, like if you just put a post um, on your Facebook site, it only goes to about four percent of your followers. Yeah. So you know, it, it's it doesn't get a lot of traction. Um, if you pay for it, then you do, and right. you can you you can use it to um, uh, to generate a following on Facebook. Um, you can gen- you can use ads, I should say, um, to get inquiries back to your website. Um, it can work, and it has worked really well for certain people. But the trick with Facebook is is that what you don't want to do really is you don't want to uh, advertise on Facebook just to grow your Facebook following. Because you can't, you only particularly as a small business, you've only got so much money to spend, and if you're spending a fifty dollars or a hundred dollars or one hundred and fifty dollars or whatever it might be on to promote each of your posts or ads, um, you'll get a bigger audience, but you still have to really pay to access those people again. So the the trick is is really to try and get your social media following up, so you're not having to pay to access it a lot. And one of the things that we've found also works really well for us is to um, engage um, brand ambassadors. Now, brand ambassadors can be anyone. Um, and in the health market, like you can use, obviously, your colleagues and whatever, but we tend to use 
athletes and the athletes don't have to be um, the the world's most famous athlete. If anything, they're probably not the best thing for you. You want to get people of influence kind of promoting your products subtly kind of through their Instagram or Facebook or whatever it might mm-hmm. be for low cost. And what we do is we will give them some free product um, and, you know, like uh, maybe a couple of other things as well, um, but not a lot. And most of the time they're actually happy to do it. The, the thing in marketing at the moment is people really um, suggest for small businesses is to go with what is called medium-sized influencers. So people who might have 1,000, 2,000, 5,000, maybe 10,000 followers, but those followers are really engaged with what they do. There may be only a couple of degrees of separation between that person and knowing their followers personally. And if they promote and suggest and recommend your product, um, is very powerful, in again, in that small market. Whereas if you got LeBron James to do it, well, of course, he's, there's going to be a lot of people who, but that, that degree of distance is, of course, they'll know that, oh, that, that company's just paid LeBron to promote their stuff. So it may not gain the traction that you think it might. Right. Yeah. See, what you have to do is you have to get Oprah to put you on her <laughs> favorite things. You know, at the end of the, she always has Oprah's favorite things episode. That's right. what you, if you could get on Oprah's favorite things, you're golden. Yes. That's right. Talk about again, having if, an engaged audience. I don't know anyone who has a more engaged audience than Oprah. Well, there, you, you, there's certain people who um, would sell anything, and Oprah's one of them for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, maybe down the road, get, get onto her favorite things list. That, that's probably not too hard to do, right? Uh, I mean, it's only I, Oprah. It's only Oprah. That's right. Uh, you've, all right, you've encouraged me. I might write her an email. I'll see how I go. You never know. You never know. Okay. Um, so last question. Uh, what are some common barriers or blocks that particularly healthcare providers might have when developing a product and how, how do you get over them? Uh, well, one of the first ones you see is, is that most healthcare providers are in well-paid good jobs. Um, they're, I'm not saying they're easy jobs, but most people, it's quite a stable kind of industry. Well, it is in Australia for any anyway. Um, it, it's a it's a rewarding job. Um, there's career progression. There's a lot of education. They're good jobs. So if, what I see sometimes is people will start a business on the side. Uh, they'll they'll have grand ambitions, and then things get a little bit tough. The things might get a little bit tough uh, financially. Uh, might get it you know like the product hasn't developed or had the uh, the, the feedback uh, or the market kind of uh, kudos that they were wanting and it's an there's an easy out the easy out is oh, I'm still earning good money as a physical therapist um, I, I've blown $10,000 well I'll just write it off I'll just keep doing what I'm doing whereas you find that the entrepreneurs who um, have got nothing to fall back on they grit down and they uh, they get through those tough times and then they kind of get to that next level because they have to. So they're one of the barriers um, for health professionals is that the, the ease of going back into your cushy, nice job mm-hmm. is appealing for many, and I've seen that happen quite a few times. And, and it's Another- also a mindset shift, right? So if you have had you, – you went to university, came out, and you have, like you said, this very stable job, it's a big yep. mindset shift to take on the lifestyle – and the ideals of an entrepreneur. 
it is, and okay. it's all yeah. And and the other thing also about health professionals is that that um, obviously we use our brains, and um, you know, like there's clinical decision making, and we have to to kind of think hard, and it's an intellectual job. But at the same at the same time, like most of what we do in our practice has um, revolved around evidence based practice, and also revolves around you know, um, mentoring and counselling from mentors and that kind of thing. So most of the time what we do in our life, we're kind of doing um, from information that's been given to us and then we just kind of uh, do our job. The entrepreneur is, is exactly the opposite. So you have to make it happen. You have to see things differently. You have to have the vision to do something that's never been done before. So for a lot of health practitioners, it's a very different mindset in that respect as well. Is that you've got to you've got to you've got to um, think completely differently to the way that you do when you're treating your patients, um, and that mind shift can can be challenging for some as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's and it's scary. You know, it's it's pushing you out of your comfort zone. But you know what they say: things that push you out of your comfort zone are usually things that you should be saying yes to because they can lead to some pretty great rewards. Oh, that's it. And, and also, like, uh, generally health practitioners um, uh, are not big risk takers. You tend to find mm-hmm. that the big risk takers will go into banking and finance and mm-hmm. entrepreneurs and that kind of thing. So, um, again, as kind of going back to what I said before, the, the, um, the, uh, the ease of kind of going back into a well-paid, nice job um, is a bit appealing at times when mm-hmm. things get tough. Yeah. The other thing also is, is that because um, health practitioners are educated, um, they've usually gone through university, college for a while. They come out most of the time. They've been working for a few years um, before they have a great idea in their niche area. And at that time, um, most of the time, they've found a partner. They might be having a family. They might have bought a house, have a mortgage. So you've got financial and uh, family responsibilities. And age is an issue. Um, you find that a lot of, if you think about the Mark Zuckerbergs and Steve Jobs and all the cliches, they started their business very early in their life. They dropped out of uni and then they started it when they were 20 or whatever it might have been. Whereas for health practitioners, you know, you might be closer to 30 or even 40 um, when you've got this idea. And that the, the financial responsibility thing um, can um, can bite people in um, the butt as well. So that, that's the earlier you can do it, the better it is. Um, but conversely, you kind of need a little bit of money up your sleeve to kind of get things going as well. So they are barriers and it's hard for some people to do. Yeah, absolutely. The, the la- yeah. The, the last thing I was going to say is, is also, the again, most people in health are reasonably naive to the way business works, you know, not only kind of like the managing of the books, as I said earlier, um, but also just um, getting people from the business world to give you advice. And I've had tremendous help and success in um, picking out people, friends, colleagues, even a couple of ex-patients of mine um, who have been very, very good um, in the business and finance world, who I've used to mentor, guide me, um, talk about the big picture, that kind of thing that's been enormously beneficial. Um, And again, I've found that most health entrepreneurs who have done products have been a bit reluctant to kind of go into that. Uh, area and use those type of people, but I'd, I'd encourage them to do so because at the end of the day, it's a business and it's there to make money, and um, you've, you've got to you've got to do that side of the, the things well or all fall over. 
Yeah. So just to kind of recap some of the barriers and how to get over them, one is changing your mindset from being the therapist that has this stable job working for someone else to changing your mindset into being more of a risk taker and an entrepreneur. And to also think about, like you said, the financial and family obligations that you might have. So perhaps having this conversation with the family is in order. And then finally, find a good mentor to help you through the business part of it. Because a lot of healthcare practitioners and physical therapists, we didn't go to business school as well. Mm, you know, that's right. And mm. so finding that mentor, I think, is is key. And I think the earlier you find that mentor in this journey, the better off you'll be. Right. I think going, we spoke about at the start about uh, the, you know, you kind of go through those stages of developing the business. Well, I think once you get to the to the point where you're going to spend money on it. Um, get yourself a mentor at that point. Once you once you start spending money and you, you're forking out your hard-earned dollars uh, to make this thing happen, uh, get some good people around you to help help you on the business side of things. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's makes so much sense. And you know, I want to thank you. We're kind of running short on time. It goes by fast, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, it does. It goes by fast. Um, now, uh, before I have just a couple couple more questions. One to kind of before we talk about how people can get in touch with you and all that other fun stuff is so I don't know how long ago you graduated from uh, physio school um, mm -hmm. but what would knowing what you know now and where you are in your career what would you say to that new grad physio you however many years ago you graduated Oh, that's a tough question because I, I I'm twenty. I graduated twenty years ago, uh -huh. and I've absolutely loved and still do. I still um, do a session a week. I, I love my physio career in inverted commas. I I work with some terrific sports teams. Um, I uh, got to travel the world. Um, you know, I went to Olympic games. Um, so I I had some terrific um, experiences as a as a physical therapist, physiotherapist. So, but on the entrepreneurial side of things, um, and I look at my business now, the one thing I <laughs> look back and say is I wish I'd started sooner. And I also wish um, that I'd taken it seriously um, a little sooner as well um, because there were so many signs there that um, the, the, the products and the business were successful. And I kind of just let it bubble along there for a while while I continued to stay in my reasonably well-paid cushy physio job. Um, and it's really only been in the last three or four years that I've really kind of gone, uh, taken the, the, the both the both um, premax and also the, the knee sleeve very seriously. So, in advice to um, the younger physio me, um, I don't know if I'd change things all that much. I think that um, I think that whatever you do, you've got to make sure that you're passionate about it. Um, if you if your heart's not in it, if you're only doing it just for the money then you're in it for the wrong reasons. You'll find that whether it's in your physio career or whether you want to start a product and get it out there, you have to believe it. And the primary motivation has to be that you're changing things for the better, not that you want to be a millionaire and retire to the Bahamas. I think that is wonderful advice and a great way to end our conversation. Now, how can people get in touch with you? How can they find out more about your products? And I'll have you say all this 
knowing that it will all be in your show notes at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. So go ahead. Uh, yeah, sure. Well, the, the business, um, the Premax business is uh, called Premax. The website is premax.co. If anyone wants to get in touch with me, they're very welcome. There's a contact page um, and there's a form field to um, fill out or there's an email address, info at premax.co. It will find its way to me. So I'd be delighted to hear from anyone if they've got comments, um, even just want a little bit of advice. Um, I'm very happy to do that. And then the Cooper Knee Sleeve is uh, by Thermoskin. Um, so if you type in just into Google uh, Thermoskin Cooper Knee Sleeve, it will come up as well. Well, thank you very much. And you're on social media. Um, so where, what are you, how can we find you on Twitter and, and YouTube? Yep, What's your YouTube? You just talked about how great it was. So let's, let's have yep, it. Yep. Uh, so the YouTube channel is Premax Australia. Um, our, my personal uh, Twitter is RL underscore Cooper. Um, and... I think that's about it. Now, you know, like if you just if you type in, if you actually go to the Premax website, um, all the social handles, um, all the links to the social pages are up the top of the website there. So, we'd love to have people kind of not only follow but contribute and discuss things. And we will be launching in America um, in about twelve months' time or so. So, um, hopefully, you're hearing a lot more from us in, in, in at that time. Awesome. Well, congratulations to you and and all your success with all of your products and thank you so much for giving us a uh, sort of a, a peek into your entrepreneurial life and how you brought your products to life and I think a lot of people are going to find it very very valuable so thank you very much it's been a pleasure Karen thank you and everyone thank you so much for listening again everything is over at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com in the show notes we will have links to everything so if you didn't write it down don't worry about it and again you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Karen Litzy NYC and at Facebook slash healthy wealthy smart so thank you all for listening have a great week and stay healthy wealthy and smart <laughs>